Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, greetings and hello. It is I, your favorite obscure social studies teacher with just above average looks, intelligence, and style, Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. That's professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Send me your questions, your comments, your observations, your obsessions, your obligations. Let's see, what's another O word? Your orangutans. No, that doesn't go. Whatever. Send them to Professor Liberty 1776 at gmail.com. You can also message me on Facebook Messenger, as many of you seem to prefer. Maybe the email is obsolete. Maybe everyone is just into texting and messaging. I don't know. Okay, so on to the show. This is a little short one for you guys. I do know uh, you guys are waiting for more podcast episodes, and I know this one's almost 30 days past. Well, it is over 30 days past the last one. Uh, Things are busy around here. But summer's coming up, so I will have much more time on my hands to put forth more content. So hang in there, those of you die-hard Professor Liberty lovers. Professor Liberty lovers, try to say that five times fast. I do want to mention we officially surpassed 10,000 downloads on Professor Liberty Podcast. Now, I know for the Joe Rogans out there, this might seem rather trivial, But I'm very proud of this achievement, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in and supporting this podcast. Here's to the next 10,000. So today we're going to be doing a This Day in History, May 1st. And as I was researching things that have happened on May 1st, there's quite a lot of fascinating things that happened on this day throughout history. For example, on May 1st, 2011, U.S. Navy SEALs executed infamous terrorist Osama bin Laden in Pakistan during a covert mission. His death came nearly 10 years after his planned 9-11 attack. In 1950, Gwendolyn Brooks became the first black American to win a Pulitzer Prize for her book of poetry called Annie Allen. Today, in 1937, President Franklin Roosevelt signs an official act of neutrality, keeping the U.S. out of World War II. (coughs) That, That worked. In 1915, British luxury liner the Lusitania leaves New York Harbor for a voyage to Europe. A week later, it would be torpedoed by a German U boat. This attack would become one of the reasons the U.S. joins. World War One on the side of the Allies. And another event happened on the oceans on May 1st. This time, it was 1898, and that was the Battle of Manila Bay. Now, I want to say on the onset of this, I live in Vegas. So the chances are very high at some point during this podcast, I'm going to slip, and instead of saying Manila Bay, I'll say Mandalay Bay. For those of you who don't know, Mandalay Bay is a luxurious hotel in Las Vegas. It's right on the Strip. It's got a beach and a wave pool. But even with the danger of this possibly happening, 
We're going to talk about the Battle of Manila Bay for the rest of today's episode. As already mentioned, the Battle of Manila Bay occurred on May 1st, 1898, and it was in the context of the Spanish-American War. This short war at the end of the 19th century was once called the, quote, Splendid Little War. The U.S. Ambassador to Great Britain, John Hay, is the one who has said that. And he said it because the war was so short and the U.S. lost very little and it gained so much. After the Spanish-American War, the old powers of Europe took notice that there was a new superpower across the Atlantic. Before the Spanish-American War, with the exception of Alaska, the U.S. was locked within her east and western coast borders. After the war, the U.S. was a global power with holdings in the Caribbean and far in the Pacific. Now, to be completely frank, after this war, the U.S. would become a colonial power. The irony of this didn't go unnoticed to many in the country. Republics, which the United States is a republic, not a democracy. Republics are known for, you know, liberty and limited government. Republics are not known for empires and expansion. And many leaders criticize the U.S. expansion outside of the original manifest destiny boundaries. The Spanish-American War began with Spain's treatment, or shall we say mistreatment, of the Cubans. And the Cubans are going to have a revolution because of it. Now, Spain did treat the Cubans harshly. But most of the atrocities are going to be overblown by newspapers in the United States. This exaggerated journalism is known as yellow journalism, which, do not be deceived, boys and girls, is still alive and well today. Yellow journalism is journalism that exploits, exaggerates, and distorts the news in order to create sensation and to attract readers. Hmm, that sounds familiar. These tales of Spanish treachery began to move public opinion, and the American public began to sympathize with the Cuban people. You know, the United States kind of saw Cuba as their poorer neighbor being harassed by the school bully, Spain. In response to these tales of Spanish misdeeds, President McKinley ordered U.S. warship Maine into Savannah Harbor. This is in February 1898. The entire war is only going to last a few months. Again, another reason why it was a splendid little war. Now, as some of you history buffs already know, in February 1898, the USS Maine is going to explode suddenly and without warning. And of course, the Spanish are going to start being blamed for this explosion. Now, only five days after the explosion, the New York World newspaper published headlines like, quote, the Maine was blown up by a submarine mine, unquote. Another New York newspaper wrote, quote, Spanish treachery, unquote. In April, Congress passed an ultimatum telling Spain to withdraw from Cuba or face the consequences. On April 23rd, Spain declared war on the United States, and so the U.S. followed suit on the next day. 
You know, can we just sit back for a brief moment and appreciate countries officially declaring war? You know, going through their legislative uh, uh, mechanisms and officially declaring war. Remember those days? Instead of troops secretly being moved into countries and the public not knowing about it. Like Ukraine. Like Syria. Anyway, back to the show. Okay, so this finally sets up the backdrop for the Battle of Manila Bay. I almost said Mandalay. I didn't, though. Well, I guess I just did. So in just five days after, okay, five days after the U.S. declares war on Spain, Naval Commander George Dewey and his fleet spot the Philippine mainland. Military leaders in the United States knew that to win the war, defeating the rather large Spanish fleet stationed in the Philippines was a top priority. Under the cover of night, Dewey's ships snuck past coastal guns located on, I'm going to get this wrong, Corridor Island and into Manila Bay. At dawn on May 1st, 1898, Dewey's ships fire upon the outdated Spanish fleet. Thanks to the advocacy and hard work of then-Naval Secretary Theodore Roosevelt, who was going to resign his post so he can go fight in Cuba, by the way, the U.S. fleet was better armed and better trained. After two hours of fighting, the Spanish fleet was, as History.com describes, quote, decimated, unquote. At first, the Spanish su- stubbornly refused to surrender. But at, after another round of softening up by way of more shelling, the Spanish fleet gave up. The decisive victory would bring the Philippines under U.S. control and occupation, which would last until 1946. In Cuba that August, Spanish forces would again be overwhelmed by the Americans, this time think T.R. and his Rough Riders, And by December, before year's end, the Treaty of Paris was signed, basically giving the U.S. the remnant of Spain's overseas holdings. The U.S. gained control of Puerto Rico and Guam. Cuba, which was, you know, where all the commotion began, officially became a U.S. protectorate. Now, that just means a colony, but with a little more autonomy. The Battle of Manila Bay was the first battle of the Spanish-American War. It also established the United States as a major naval power, and it is one of the most decisive battles in U.S. naval history. Over 300 Spanish sailors perished during the battle, compared to U.S. casualties being approximately 10. As mentioned earlier, the breakneck speed and the precision of the Spanish-American War is incredible. We can see why John Hay called it the Splendid Little War. It started at the end of April and was officially over in December. It saw the U.S. gain so much in regards to lands and world esteem. And all the while, it didn't cost them almost nothing in regards to blood and treasure. The last thing I want to bring up also relates to this idea of breakneck speed, and that is the expansion, just how fast the United States grew. It was just a fledgling little country in 1800. The borders of 1800 America just reached the Mississippi. 
So in under 100 years, 98 years, the United States would go from reaching the Mississippi to stretching across the oceans. That's incredibly fast, ladies and gentlemen. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. You can also go to TeachersPayTeachers.com and look at activities and worksheets and lessons that you can use in your classroom or at home. Reach out to me on Facebook, Professor Liberty, or go to ProfessorLiberty.com. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.